0: Hi, I'm Natalie Mullen, former people pleaser and queen of doing way too much, turned holistic life coach and wellness educator for purpose-seeking women of color and allies. Welcome to From a Full Cup. On this podcast, I teach you how to use the 12 pillars of wellness to discover your purpose, up-level your well-being, and create the life of your dreams. Because we all deserve to be fulfilled, and you simply can't pour from an empty cup. Through candid conversations, insightful interviews, and motivational nuggets, you'll feel inspired, empowered, and supported as together we navigate this thing called life, holistically and with your well-being at the center. If you're committed to personal development and you're ready for more, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From a Full Cup. Today, I have with me Jennifer Harrison. She is a dissertation coach, and I am so excited to have this conversation. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Please you, introduce you yourself. Me. Yeah, please introduce yourself to the listeners in your own words, and then we'll get started.
1: So, I am the founder and CEO of Read By Perfects, and that is a company that provides uh, dissertation coaching services. I'm a PhD myself. Um, I love being a coach and I love kind of coming on podcasts and sharing, you know,
0: tips and strategies
1: that can help out students.
0: Awesome. I just love all things education. So I want you to share with us, how did you come to this line of work?
1: Sure. So um, teaching's kind of always been what I've done. Like I think I knew when I was in elementary school that I wanted to be a teacher. And um, after I finished my degree, like I said, I'm a PhD myself. So I did a PhD in children's literature. I started teaching at the state university in my town. I was teaching writing. I was teaching um, English literature. I was kind of supervising grad students. And then COVID came along and changed everything. I could see that uh, grad students were not getting the support that they needed from their institutions. Um, There'd been that shift to remote learning and everybody was struggling with it. And I also wanted my work-life balance back. So I left academia and I opened up Read Write Perfect. And that's what I've been doing ever
0: since. Okay. And oh, I know COVID <laughs> COVID changed all of our lives, but especially if you were an educator, going through that remote learning was very difficult for our students. And it was also very difficult as an educator as well. So I definitely resonate with that. In that kind of Transition to get to where you're at right now, what was one major challenge that you would say you had to kind of overcome?
1: The hardest challenge was mindset. I think it can be very easy to be employed in a job that feels secure and that is the one that you mapped out in your head when you started your career. And to kind of take take a leap into the unknown and do something different is is a little bit scary and you don't know how it's going to work out. And even if all the evidence is there in front of you that it's going to be a, a change for the better, it's really hard to do it. That was the hardest thing was that that shift in mindset to, you know, I can do this even though I don't really know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy that you brought that up. And I think that can resonate with a lot of the listeners because I think a lot of people plan their lives in a very linear way right you're like you're you're gonna go to school you're gonna graduate you're gonna do this you're gonna do that and so it takes courage to be able to say i'm going to do something different that i had not originally planned and i'm going to leave a safe and secure and stable kind of position and step out on my own so it definitely takes courage but and as you said uh, your mindset has to support that your mindset has to believe it's possible. And sometimes you kind of have to hold fear and courage together Fear is in one hand courage is in the other, and you still move forward right and the good thing about that is most things in life are not permanent so even if you go down a path that you find you know this is not working out you can usually back pedal or, or course direct. But it's good to just explore and see what else is out there, because you might be robbing yourself of something even more joyful, even more rewarding than Mm -hmm. what you had uh, before. So thank you for sharing that. So right now you're working with graduate students. And Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a graduate student, there were a lot of students who felt isolation and especially because for grad school, most people go to a different school from their undergrad. Now I went to the same school as my undergrad and I was in person for all of these things. So thankfully I still had very strong connections, but a lot of people are going to different schools and they might not have going right after undergrad. So there might've been a period of time where they're away from school. So for different reasons, They might feel disconnected and feel a little bit isolated. And then if they're doing it online, it's even more of a challenge. So um, and then especially when they're in intense periods of either study or they're writing a dissertation or they're writing their thesis. So what strategies can students employ to kind of build a support network and just to help them manage that sense of isolation that is often present when you are in higher education? I'm
1: going to actually tackle this two questions separately one about isolation and one about building a support network because um, I think they they require different sets of strategies the isolation um, a lot of that I think comes down to um, your own proactiveness like it, it can be very tempting to say oh well you know there are the people around me and then um, that's it now I'll be connected but actually I think when it comes to feeling isolated if you don't feel that there are people around you you've got to be um, really careful about how you are structuring your time and your lifestyle to make those opportunities to be able to build a network so that's kind of what i want to tackle first um when it comes to isolation i'd say first thing is be really strict about your work-life balance and this one comes from looking at the students that i work with and seeing what they struggle with most of them feel that drive to push 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 all day they're sitting that the computer you know, 10, 12 hours a day, working late into the night, getting up early in the morning, getting back to work. They're not actually leaving that time for there to be a support network. So I think that's the first thing is like actually make, you know, manage your time in a way that makes space and time for that connection with other people. Um, I'd also say that when you are thinking about being around other people, again, having that balance of what you are using those connections for, So you can still feel just as isolated if you are around people, but all you're talking about is how stressed and overwhelmed you feel with work and how much progress you're not making. And so I would say engage in affirmative behaviors. Um, Talk When you are with people, use that time to talk about what's going well or um, something completely different to work so that you are getting real connection from that time. And I would also say that you should um, keep your degree in perspective and goal map for your life, not for your career, not for your degree. And what I mean by that is know the place that that PhD holds in your life so that you can put it into perspective and not allow it to eat up everything about you. Um, that's going to help with isolation because you're going to remember that you don't have to sit at your computer 12 hours a day and burn yourself out because there are other things in your life that are important as well. And you'll, you'll feel a lot better about taking that time to spend with your parents or spend with your kids or go out on a date with your partner or whatever it might be. So kind of those are, those are like baseline suggestions when it comes to isolation and changing your mindset about isolation.
0: Just before you get into the second part, because I just want to pause there because I think that you made some really important points. And I think that if you are in a situation where you're writing a PhD or even you're making a career transition to, because I know not everybody is going to necessarily be taking their PhD, but I wanted to still apply the principles because we can still learn from this in terms of understanding that work-life balance and I always talk to my clients about that too but what is it that you want for your life and you have to realize when when you get hyper focused on your goal and you kind of are in a bubble you're not realizing that everything around you is actually being neglected you're neglecting your relationships with your family with your loved ones even with your own self because you're just super focused and I think that our society encourages us to be goal oriented and to be focused and ambitious. But it always comes at a cost unless we are still supporting this with our well-being. I love when people pursue their dreams. I love when people are passionate and are driven and ambitious. But I also want people to hold their well-being in their hands as well. And I like what you said about situate, how would that degree impact your life? Where would it sit within the rest of your life? Because that one accomplishment can't be everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people put their worth and their value into a specific role, or into a specific degree, or into a specific accomplishment. And then they get it. And sometimes they're not even fulfilled, because we are not siloed individuals, we're multifaceted. And so we have to be able to honor all the different facets of our of our being. So I just wanted to add that, but uh, I'll let you continue now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In terms of building a support network, I would say think outside the box about what support is and who can provide it i think when we think about support network we think in professional terms like oh i'm going to have my supervisor i'll have the chair of the program or i would actually say think outside of your program and think outside of your institution when it comes to seeking support so um first one is kind of a note seek and accept all the help you need and don't feel guilty about it because i think guilt is the biggest hang up that stops people from forming these networks they feel like they shouldn't need the help and they're embarrassed to ask for it and so they don't um, and it seems kind of shameful, and then they lose out on that network. First thing I'd say is seek external help. So that could be mentors, it could be other students, it could be writing centers, it could even be things like YouTube videos, it could be professional editors and coaches, anybody that you need to, to learn what it is you need to learn. Um, don't think that you have to know everything to be a grad student like that, your worth in that program is that you already know how to do things. You're there to learn and that includes learning processes. And so seek out the people who can teach you those processes. And if you're not getting them through your institution, seek them outside of your institution. Um, ask anybody you need to, to teach you how to do those things to make your life easier. And that what will happen is you'll have those people around as supports who can help you. And they'll usually end up teaching you more than you think you needed them for. And then the other one, obviously, is your your people, your friends, your family, your colleagues, your peers, um, all those people that you hold around you because they make you feel good. So this is the time when you really need them and you need to nurture those relationships and hold on to them. Um, They're going to help you stay sane. They're going to help you keep things in perspective. And that's why I really emphasize that perspective. Um, Those are the people who are outside of this focus that you have who can help you to not let it take over your life. So you can chat through your work with them and your progress with them. Like I said, make it about the positives. You can turn to them for moral support if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling down. And then this is the one that everybody neglects. You can actually ask for actual real life help. So can you do a load of laundry for me? Can you babysit for me? I desperately need a coffee. Would you have five minutes to bring one to me? Um, Most people are really happy to help in that way, but a lot of us are very reluctant to ask for those little favors now is your time of life when you're in the middle of this very stressful thing that you can call on the people who love you to do those kind of things. And they'll know that you'll pay them back later. Um, that will help you forge and keep those relationships alive.
0: Definitely. And I, I think that it's always so important to step outside of yourself. You know, I remember when my cousin was doing her PhD and she had two children, she had two children through the time she uh, was doing her PhD. So can you imagine she has these young babies as she's trying to write her dissertation? And it can be a lot. And in order, sometimes people think that they can't pursue, you know, maybe starting a family because they're working on this or they can't do something else. But If you have a support network, more options are available to you. And so I think it's about how can you invite people to kind of go along the journey with you instead of you saying, I'm going to be in my room working on my dissertation, working on my course, and just doing my own thing. And you bunker down and you kind of forget everybody exists. Bring them in and say, "Hey, this is what I'm working on today," or "This is the chapter I'm on." Um, I find that people are actually they want to be engaged. Your family and friends, maybe not too hardcore. You don't need to give them all the details of your thesis or all the details of your dissertation, but people are generally interested and they're supportive of you, right? If they love you and care about you, they they are supportive of of what you're doing, what you're trying to do. And so, I think finding ways that they can be a part of it um, and and still have an idea of what you're doing. And as you said, even if they get to bring you a coffee, that's like, that was their way of of contributing, right? And they might even get into the acknowledgments when you do (laughs) your dissertation. And so that will be exciting. And we just never know how we can make that impact, but you have to make space for people to be able to kind of make that impact with you. Shifting direction a little bit, the job market and industry demands, they're evolving over time. And this can be very stressful as you're trying to plan out your life as a student and think, how do I align myself now for, you know, a future job or a future role? So how can prospective graduate students or people who are going to potentially go through a career change or a career transition, how can they ensure that their choices align with the future trends rather than current circumstances?
1: I am so glad you asked this question. I always hear like the same answer to this and it drives me up the wall and it's the right answer which is um, you've got to focus on the timeless skills the stuff that everybody is going to value no matter what changes happen in content specialisms and you know what trends come and go. but then when it comes to practical suggestions kind of people sort of say oh um, it's communication it's time management it's organization those are the things you need those are kind of meaningless terms like we all know roughly what they mean but you know how does that really translate into industry work so I actually have a few suggestions on things that I have seen my students developing that have then served them well in industry. Okay, so um, first one is the ability to take criticism and feedback. Like that is one of the things that makes you a good team player. It shows that you have growth mindset and that you can evolve in a position. And I think a lot of employers and a lot of industries find that very valuable. And a a graduate program is the perfect place to develop that because it's nothing but criticism and feedback. You know, you get it coming from all sides all the time. So really developing those skills to deal with um, criticism and feedback and then being able to show that you can do that is going to be so important. Um, Ability to think innovatively about problems. So we know that problem solving is important, but if you're the person who can think outside of the usual solutions and maybe do things like cross-disciplinary work or, you know, think about um, new approaches that could be taken or you happen to know strategies from one field that you can move into another. Those are really important, I think, in industry because everybody has a particular way of looking at a problem, but if you can bring a, a fresh look to it, That's gonna be very important. And again, a graduate program is a good place to develop that because you are already thinking about problem solving. You're developing a solution to a problem through your research and you're looking for a gap in the way that nobody has ever done that solution before. So you're already primed for this way of thinking. Um, Ability to manage people or projects effectively. So we all know that this is, so important when you go out into the real world. If you can show that you can keep on top of a whole project. So that's like what makes things like organization and time management into real tangible things. It means, can you manage a deadline? Can you keep people on track? Can you work out the budget for something? Um, Do you know how to put together different personalities to make an effective team? Anything like that, that you can pick up through your graduate experience and show that you can do it's gonna make you highly employable no matter what field you go into and no matter what's happening in that field. Um, And then uh, ability to make clear arguments and support them with data. Again, that's exactly what you're practicing in your graduate studies, but it's also what's needed, um, for example, if you wanna attract funding to a particular project when you're in industry. So it doesn't really matter what it was you were doing that for, if you can show you can do that, um, you're going to be uh, very attractive. Um, and then the last one is uh, forming and leveraging networks. So if you can show that you're able to do that, that you're good at doing that, um, that you know, it, it's so valuable in industry. So if you can develop those kind of skills and focus on the opportunities that will enable you to show that you have those skills, um, that's going to, that, you know, I think that's the best way to prepare yourself for whatever the future might bring in terms of employment. And um, like just one example is that when I was a PhD student, and this is so badly out of date that it's embarrassing, but um, back then conferences were very important, and so uh, my chair pushed me to organize a conference. And at the time, it just seemed like such a massive headache and hassle because I was trying to do my actual PhD. But it involved, um, you know, creating this events and everything that comes with event management and planning and organizing and all these people and managing timetables and train schedules and budgets and and that has been so valuable to me moving forward That you know the few times that I needed to get a job in admin I was snapped up like you wouldn't believe because I was able to show I could do that so it, they may not seem like obvious things you want to do at the time but they those kind of opportunities will help you build these skills that will then make you very employable
0: Yeah, I think that that's um, a, a great list of skills and I think is a more concrete example of transferable skills and how you actually are developing these skills or can be developing these skills while in a graduate program and then still transition them to work. And it also allows for flexibility that even in your career journey, even if you pivot into different industries, these types of skills will still move with you. But now they're specific. And then you know what exactly that you can work on and continue to build. But it really starts with, as you said, growth mindset, you have to have that willingness to learn, you have to have that willingness to improve upon your own practice and just develop yourself and and think about new ways of doing things. I would
1: really emphasize there is networks, like building and forming and leveraging networks, because if you are meeting the right people and engaging in the right conversations, then you're going to be the person or one of the people at the forefront of that change, and it's never going to take you by surprise.
0: Yes, that's a really good point too. And I think networking and just having the network and nurturing it from time to time, you never know where it will take you in life. And sometimes, and I made this this mistake when I was younger, I think I was like, okay, well, I'm moving into teaching. So I'm going to kind of close off the rest of my network because teaching is kind of a closed community, really, at mm-hmm. least in my boards, you know, you're in the board and everything is happening within the board. But then as I decided, okay, I want to start my own business or now I want to do wellness education. And I realized like, oh, I need to kind of have a a network outside of my specific field and industry. And I wish I had maintained those, but at that time I was like, Oh, I don't need LinkedIn. I'm going to delete it. I'm going to delete these emails and contacts. So that's what I would really encourage anyone else to do too. Even if you don't think that maybe you're in the same profession or you're not aligned directly, it is still good. You're aligned by humanity. (laughs) You're aligned by your existence. And so don't always think of How can this person specifically benefit me? I think it's just important about relationships, the Mm -hmm. relationships you have with people in your industry and outside of your industry, period. As I said, it is, I think a lot of times in life we're thinking, well, what's in it for me? But I think if we kind of go from an angle of, well, how can I just be connected and form meaningful relationships with people and just recognize their humanity? How can I help them? Maybe there's an opportunity for them to help me or we can just stay connected for the sake of connection. I think that there is actually a lot of value in it. And I don't think our society um, promotes and honors that enough. And, um, you know, when people are transitioning into academia or even into a new career, it often involves a steep learning curve and setback. And this can be a little bit debilitating for some people, especially if they've kind of been out of school for a while or um, maybe they're kind of coming into a different program. So, what advice can you provide to help individuals cope with failures and setbacks constructively without jeopardizing their well being or motivation?
1: Sure. So, I'd say the first thing is um, you want to work on your own attitude towards criticism. So, you do need that growth mindset. And it can be like I see a lot of students who come into a graduate program feeling like they, first of all, they, they should know everything already. Um, so they they are already a good researcher, they're already a good writer, um, you know, they're only really there to research their topic and write about it, but there's nothing else that they really need to learn. And I've even seen students come in saying, I already know what the answer is to my research question, I just need to get that answer and then write it up. You want to kind of let go of that, um, you're there to learn, it is a, a learning degree as much as any other degree is, and so your learning process such as researching, writing well, being clear in your arguments. Um, And you're also learning about your topic. You know, you're there to collect data and see what it tells you, not necessarily to already know what it's going to tell you. Um, So there are a lot of books and courses that you can do on mindset growth. Like a key name is Carol Dweck and any books and courses that you can find by her are a great resource. But um, I would say if you don't already have that growth mindset, you want to nurture it and develop it. And um, that's going to help a lot with how you deal with Uh, setbacks, negative feedback, anything like that. The next thing is develop a thick skin because a lot of supervisors, a lot of reviewers, they're not necessarily very skilled at giving positive constructive criticism. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's a real skill. Like you probably know this as a teacher, you have to be taught that. Um, You know, we're taught very specific strategies for how to deliver feedback in a way that isn't going to crush people's souls. Um, People who go into higher education teaching don't necessarily have that training. And so, you know, it can be devastating when you spend all this time on a draft, you hand it in and then someone says, well, this is absolute rubbish, go and fix it. That's gonna happen, like there's no way around that. So what you've gotta do is develop a thick enough skin that you can pull out what's useful, completely ignore anything that is unhelpful or hurtful, and, but, but then also push for clarification where you need it. If you've gotten a piece of feedback back that is not constructive to send it back and say, I'm sorry, this is not constructive, this is what I need to know so that I can move my work forward. So it's kind of, people aren't going to do that for you. Like they're going to give you what they give you and it's going to be down to you to make something of it and make it useful for you. And then finally, like the next step up from that is be willing to advocate for yourself because sometimes failures and setbacks aren't your fault. Um, You may be pushing for that constructive feedback and not getting it. You may feel sick. You may have other Um, kind of circumstances in your life you may have an abusive supervisor You, you know all these things happen in grad studies um and so sometimes that failure isn't just down to you so you've got to recognize that failure isn't always going to be down to you and then you've got to push for your rights you know know what know what those rights are and be willing to fight for them that might mean declaring a disability that you've been diagnosed with it might mean reporting an abusive supervisor and going through all the hassle that that entails or requesting a new supervisor It might mean insisting that you get an extension for medical reasons, even if they seem reluctant to give you one. Read your program handbook carefully, know what your rights are, know who you should speak to about what issues, like know all of that stuff before you need to. So if anything comes up, that you are ready to proactively protect your rights and so that you can maximize your success and avoid those failures when they're not your fault. You
0: know, I really love... um what you said there about just kind of knowing your rights and advocating for yourself because I have known several friends who have gone through their PhD programs and there's a lot that can happen because I mean you're in these programs for six seven years it depends it depends on the school It depends on the program but you're you're in in these programs for a long time and it 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 can be very draining right mentally emotionally and um sometimes you don't even have the emotional, I guess, strength to kind of push back so much. But I think that's where you can kind of connect with other people, whether it's like yourself or or somebody who can be a bit of a support for you and help you look and say, well, you do have some options, right? Um, because I think sometimes people feel like they're backed into a corner. They have mm-hmm. to stick with their supervisor. They have to um, accept being treated not well. They have to accept someone who doesn't even respond to their emails and give them feedback at all. So I think, um, and that can be very, very, very frustrating, um, especially when you're chasing down people and and deadlines are coming up. Right. So I think that's and we talked about that already, about having a supportive network. But I think having other people who do know how to navigate um, higher education, it's really helpful to have someone in your corner so that you can even just talk out some of your frustrations. Because sometimes your your loved ones, they won't necessarily be able to support you. They, they might be able to listen, but they don't know how to navigate um, mm-hmm. higher academia and and the difficulties and the nuances and the regulations, right, that are yeah. involved. And, and also there's a, you have to be strategic in the way in which you do things because you never want to get yourself blacklisted or or get yourself into further problems. So And so you have to just be strategic uh, sometimes advocating for yourself does have unintended negative consequences too. So you really have to weigh the pros and cons and see, is it going to be worth it? And um, I still always encourage people to advocate for themselves, but sometimes you just need to put better support mechanisms around you or how you package it so that you are still protecting yourself uh, and you're not just putting yourself out there as a martyr. And then you now are facing the consequences. So I, you know, I really um, appreciate that. And I, I hope that anybody who's kind of in a, maybe a difficult situation right now where they feel just stuck realizes that there could be other options um, that you ha- maybe not have, you may, you maybe haven't considered them before because you just didn't know. And so I think it's wonderful for someone to talk to you because you've even presented some solutions that I hadn't thought of before. Then I'm like, uh, I could suggest this to somebody who's doing their program because I've, I've heard all the challenges yeah. <laughs> on the other end. And um, but you know, before we close on the show, one of the primary aims is to encourage women to prioritize their well-being, to pour back into themselves, to honor their needs, and just to have more open conversations about their wellness journeys. For myself as a wellness coach, I'm supporting women, professionals, and entrepreneurs. And I see a lot of the experiences that people go through, that women go through in particular that affect their well-being. And oftentimes, People feel like they're alone. They're the only one going through some sort of struggle. And it's not true. And so I really want to ask you as an entrepreneur and kind of stepping out into your own business and offering these services, have you ever experienced challenges that have affected your well-being? And if so, can you share one strategy that has helped you?
1: Definitely. So um, I think the, the biggest challenge to my well-being in my career has been the assumption that I am no more valuable than how my employer treats me. Um, so there are a lot of things that are normalized, and they're not necessarily great for our well-being. And but the big, they're normalized, so we accept them as normal, and we think, well, they're normal, so that must be all I'm worth. Um, when I was specifically when I was working in academia, I think that was that was a real issue. So low pay, unpaid labor, virtually no job security, really long hours, lack of work-life balance—all um, of that was kind of normalized. It was just what everybody did. It was expected of you um and you were kind of looked at a bit funny if you suggested that maybe those weren't great things and um so you kind of accept them you think well that's what i've got to deal with if i want a job and i do want a job and nobody seems to be offering anything better than those things so that must be all i get with my level of qualifications and experience like that must be what i'm worth and that's a really hard thing to break out of on your own Like I assumed nobody's gonna be willing to hire me for better than what I've already got. And it took a combination of um, being absolutely committed to having something better and coaching, and then um, some self-work to overcome those assumptions and to get myself to a better place. So I needed a coach to tell me these things aren't true. And then I needed a level of courage to act on that information without necessarily knowing in my own self that they weren't true. And then I need a whole bunch of therapy to kind of help me deal with the anxiety of having taken that step and going, (laughs) what happens next? So, you know, the strategy that I would recommend is seek a coach. Like coaches know what they're doing. Um, I was one of those people who never asked for help with anything either. Like I was so against having a coach. I was like, why do I need to pay somebody to tell me what to do? Like I really needed a coach. I needed a coach to tell me what it was I should be focusing on and thinking about and having faith in. their own experience and so i would say that that is the strategy i would recommend is that if you're struggling with thinking that you're not worth anything more you're not worth anything better you can never have better than what you've got you can't get there like get a coach who can tell you yes you can you can do it and they will be that you know even if you don't believe them when they say it having that validation i don't know it does something to you psychologically that just pushes you that next step that you need to go
0: Oh, 100%. My clients tell me that all the time. I think it's just about hearing a different perspective. We hear our own voices very loudly all the time. And even if we are positive thinkers, all of us have negative self-talk within our brains. Mm -hmm. And it is very hard to kind of separate the negative self-talk and figure out what is truth and what is a lie. Because you just hear it all the time. So you just start to think that everything in your head is the actual truth. But someone on the outside, they don't know what's going on in your head. So they're more objective and they can say, no, 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 let's look at the facts. This is a truth. This is a lie, right? And so it can help you. And just, again, having that support to kind of overcome your your negative ways of thinking and how do you change your thinking so that you then can change your behavior and that's where the action comes in because you do have to take action you do have to roll up your sleeves and do some work and say I'm committed to transforming myself I'm committed to growing as a person I'm committed to shifting my mindset because I know the goals that I'm after I know you know, whatever it is that I want for myself, that's on the other side. So even that is self awareness, you have to know what you want in order to Mm -hmm. ever even potentially Mm -hmm. get it. So um, I agree with all of that. I think that's really important. And Jennifer, this has been such a great conversation. And I've learned so much. And I know that the listeners have as well. And I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about what you offer and how they can reach you. And of course, the links will all be in the show notes as well.
1: I offer all different levels of coaching, some of it's subscription, some of it's packaging, but the main thing is that I work with students one-on-one to overcome whatever challenges that they are facing. So that might be writing, it might be research, it might be wellness and motivation, you know, whatever it is, I I work on it with students um, to help them get to the end of their degrees happily, (laughs) not just to the end of degrees, but, you know, happy and and contented by the time they got there um people can find me on my website which is www.readwriteperfect.com they can email me at jen at readwriteperfect.com and they can find me on twitter where i am at perfect underscore and if any listener is a grad student and is struggling with anything that we've discussed today or you know frankly anything we haven't discussed today they can follow the link in the show notes and they can book a free session and I will work with them to try and get at least one problem off their
0: plates. Awesome. And and that's all you can ask for. One problem off the plate is one, it's one problem less. And that's where you start. You start with one, right? I think a lot of times we're trying to do all these things and we're trying to change everything at the same time. It's too overwhelming and it's just not possible. But if you can find one thing, you can make easier for yourself or that you can deal with, that you can tackle, it is a step forward in the right direction. And then you're on the right path and you go from there. Thank you, Jennifer, for uh, just such a great conversation and for being on the show. And uh, to the listeners, continue to serve yourselves, your loved ones, and your communities from a full cup.